2: Welcome back to the epl roundtable i'm your host kevin devries and as always if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at epl roundtable or emailing us at epl roundtable at gmail.com hello i'm jay i'm editor
3: of the eaglesbeak.com a palace fan site by fans for fans we're on twitter at the Beak, also all across social media and also work on a local community football show called back of the net and we're on twitter at the underscore back of the net underscore
4: I'm Richard, I'm a Manchester City fan, uh, I'm on Twitter at RichardTheBurns, I write for Typical City which is a dedicated Manchester City blog um, and i are on Twitter at Typical City and I write two articles a week for Yahoo Sport UK specifically about Manchester City.
0: Hello I am Steve, I'm an Arsenal fan and I run FindPubSport.com uh, which you can find at FindPubSport on Twitter.
2: Alright thanks so much for joining us guys Up first of course we have Making the Rounds Where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week Now Jay obviously the Arsenal result happened But I thought maybe we'd lead off talking a little bit of women's football Which we probably don't do enough on the show considering how much we like it Tell us what happened (laughs) with the Crystal Palace ladies today
3: yeah, well, great news for the Palace ladies. They uh, they won the title today with a few games to spare. They were a few points ahead of second-place MK Dons. They travelled to MK Dons today and beat them 4-1, which is a great result in itself. The big game actually was uh, to see how Gillingham got on because Gillingham were relegated from the division above last season so they were the big team in the division they had a few games left to catch up and play because of the weather conditions and uh, lack of quality in the pitches unfortunately but um, they actually lost today so that means that uh, Palace Layers win the title which is absolutely fantastic and I might have to say uh, there's a real hard working group of people at the club including the chairman who I speak to uh, a lot, we we have weekly updates on on the Eagles Beak uh, and we have done for a while and it's really great to see um, them have some, some success so that actually means that they'll be up into the uh, second tier of uh, the women's football um, pyramid as it is um, and that's literally one behind the WSL to, uh, leagues which are both summer leagues now um, so that's it's absolutely fantastic very happy with that and uh, congratulations to everybody involved with that side of the club
2: yeah and then the men today go out and get the draw with Arsenal what was your view on that match?
3: Yeah, I don't know what it is with Arsenal. They 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 never actually um well I mean I think the last time we beat them was 22 years ago so I think that says a lot in itself. They're a bit of a bogey side for us and we never really play like we should do against them. We it's as if we give them too much uh too much respect, I don't know whether that's quite right, I'm not sure, but um The first half was tough. Um, We defended very well, I have to say. And it's kind of a a typical Arsenal thing. I don't think they had a shot on our goal. I think we had the first shot on goal, which is about um, 25 minutes in. And I have to say, it's probably a pretty dour game for a non-Arsenal or a non-Palace fan to watch. Well, actually, it's probably dour for (laughs) Arsenal fans to watch, to be quite (laughs) honest. Um, But um, from a Palace perspective, I just felt that if we dug in, and we were defending very well, I have to say, not really. I mean, Arsenal weren't, you know, peppering the goal with shots. They were doing their usual passing across the midfield and, and and trying to, you know, get the ball to the edge of six yard box and tap it in or walk it in even. But just wasn't happening. And we were you know, we, we were defending really well, getting a bit deeper than I would have liked. Um but the sucker punch came injury time first half, a header from Sanchez, and you kind of think going to half time that's a real you know, that's a, a real kick in the, in in our, the backside for us. So second half we came out, it's much more of the same really. I, I would have thought Arsenal would have had a bit more impetus to go and get a second goal and kill off the game, but it didn't really come. And that just gave us, I was sitting there thinking, if we just had one chance, and yeah, that chance did come, I have to say the difference in that second half was Adebayor coming on. Adebayor was excellent. He's a big guy. Um, he hasn't really impressed for us too much since he's been at Palace, but he did actually do something very similar against Everton in midweek uh, We Drew 0-0 with Everton on Wednesday night. He came on as sub and he actually did very similar that he came on, played behind the striker and controlled the ball kind of controlled the you know that that play behind the striker and, and in front of the midfield and for a big guy he's he's got good good feet he really has and it, it showed today he, he had a run down the uh, down the wing which sounds a bit odd for a for a, a big striker but he did that sat up Blassi, and and Blassi had that shot well the Czech should have probably got a bit more on it I'm not sure but it came for a crowd of players it was a speculative shot from Blassi into the back of the net and um Great to get a point out of Arsenal. I think the last seven or eight minutes were a little bit torrid for us, but I thought we defended very well. And at the end of the day, possession stats—you can talk about stats all the time—but if you don't, um, you know, have those shots on goal and and make keep, you know, kind of you know trying to score a goal, then it's there's always that chance that the other team can do it, and we did that today. Very happy.
2: All right, and Richard, it was obviously a very good week for you playing still technically reigning champions (coughs) Chelsea and you get a 3-0 yeah. result, Sergio Aguero with a hat trick. People had already written you off. The Champions League is the only way you're going to get there. West Ham or Manchester United will catch you. Now it looks like you're somewhat comfortable.
4: Yeah, it's, um, it's strange really because we've had in the league such a, a, a disappointing and underwhelming season where a couple of weeks ago it looked like all we could do was make the best of a bad job by finishing 4th um and now obviously we've we've leapfrogged Arsenal again we still have them to play which given our record against the the teams around us in the league this season isn't necessarily something in our favor but um Arsenal being Arsenal anything could happen when we play them so we've got a chance to um of our own accord put a a bit of a point gap between us and them um and We've we've we finally hit form. Like it's it's crazy that it's taken this long. As I've said on every show, I've been on like this this year. We don't win back to back games, or we haven't been doing from October until this month. We didn't win back to back league games. Now we've put three together. Um, the West Brom game was far from a classic, but it was still three points against a um, a Tony Pulis team, which isn't always the easiest thing to achieve. Um, but the the Bournemouth win and the Chelsea win in that sequence, both absolutely fantastic performances. Um, and Chelsea, although they're, they're not the Chelsea of the last couple of seasons, they've had a pretty good record under hitting. They certainly they don't lose many. I think the, the Swansea game last week was the first league game that they'd lost yeah. um, since his return. So to go to Stamford Bridge and to put three goals between them is just, I was quite surprised, to be honest. I wasn't overly surprised that we won because I I genuinely thought it was a hard game to call. I thought you could have called it um, win-lose or draw for City. Um, And I probably would have, um, being the fence-sitter that I often am, I would have, as a betting man, probably put my money on a draw for that game. Um, so I was very surprised and very happy with the way City approached it. They were just, they were very controlled and very measured in the way that they they pretty much dismantled Chelsea. Um, a couple of hairy moments at the start, but generally just a superb performance um, that came uh, and topped off an excellent week. And it's no coincidence that it comes since De Bruyne has returned because um, he, he's just is an absolute dream of a player. I think Hiddink made reference to it in his post-match interview that. You've got a player who just gets between the lines. He just knows instinctively where to be on the pitch to to cause the most damage. And fortunately, his teammates are pretty adept at picking him out and enabling him to do that. He's put to bed since his return. Any suggestion that he's a something of a homer, which was an accusation before his injury that people were beginning to make, that he only turned it on at the Etihad. Um, but he's, since since he came back, he's absolutely cast that aside. Um it it does lead us to wonder a little bit where we might have been. Had he been fit for the last two months, would we have been maybe a little bit higher? Um, but that's not an excuse, because City should have performed better in his absence. One player shouldn't make all that difference. But we are better for having him back. It's a, it's incredibly noticeable. Aguero, Aguero's clearly enjoying it. Um, he's put himself right back in the running for um, a second consecutive Premier League Golden Boot Award, which would be um, a nice little individual honour for a city player to claim in what has been a disappointing league campaign um so yeah it's we look like we might we might get the sort of best of the worst case scenarios and and cement that third place at the moment but in this season you never quite know what's going to turn in the last five games or so we might go to Newcastle and get beat now they've got a win so we might go there and get beat on Tuesday you never know but um it's been a good week
2: Yeah, I personally don't hope Aguero wins the golden boot, but um, (laughs) it is impressive how quickly he's caught up, considering how many matches he lost earlier in the season. Uh, For City, obviously the other big news this week, you made it through the Champions League, you draw Real Madrid, what was your reaction to that? Well,
4: first of all, on the um, progressing itself, I thought City were pretty magnificent against PSG. I accept that, um, I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that PSG didn't really turn up as they might have expected to and I fully accept that but from our point of view I thought City were brilliant again it was it was very well controlled and for a team that have struggled and completely failed to get to grips with the Champions League in the previous four attempts at it they they look like they've finally learned how to manage a two-legged tie now granted the last two times they've had to do that were against Barcelona which is not quite the same as doing it against Dynamo Kiev and PSG but they've the they're showing now that they can do that. That they have getting the two away goals in uh, in Paris was something that last season, the season before, I could not have thought City were capable of because we've never really shown that know how in Europe. Um, but things find are are clicking into place there a bit now. Um, it was a great atmosphere at the Etihad. It was the the best atmosphere we've had for a European game, um, and so I'm very very pleased with that. Obviously, to be in the semi final, you you put yourself at Europe's top table, really. I think I said last time when I was on, nobody remembers a beaten quarter finalist. Um, and so for City to draw PSG, both looking to make the first semi final, two of the, I suppose, really two of the great pretenders of European football at the moment, um, for City to progress and make it to the semi final, it, it's a huge thing for the club. I personally think Real Madrid is probably the best draw we could have got of those three games. Atletico Madrid would have been a nightmare for us because we're not. Really, very good at breaking down stubborn teams, and their defense is outrageously good. Their clean sheet record in Simeone's time there is in, is extremely impressive. Um, so I wouldn't have fancied that over a two-legged tie. And um, Bayern Munich, I just I can't be bothered with the narrative about City versus Pep yet. Um, I think Real Madrid are probably the most beatable for City of those three teams. Um, and obviously, if we were to beat them and get to the final knocking out a club of that prestige would finally be our sort of, um, that would probably be our real breakthrough moment in Europe. Um, Obviously, we'd want to go to the final and win it if that were possible, but it would be a significant thing to knock out one of the most prestigious clubs in Europe, regardless of whether they are at their very peak at the moment, which they're they're clearly not. It would be a huge, still a huge scalp for City. And, And the only disappointment for me is that we've got the first leg at home Um, because having the second leg at home would obviously be a bigger advantage but other than that there were City fans talking about being nervous about the draw and to me you're already in the semi-final and you're going to draw a good team whoever you play is going to be difficult so I was quite relaxed about who we actually came up against but I do think Madrid is just about the best of the three possibilities for us so I'm I'm quite satisfied with it.
2: All right, and uh, for Tottenham not that much to talk about. We haven't played yet. We play three consecutive Mondays, which uh, seems like a scheduling error on my part, but that's fine. Um, but a couple interesting things did happen this week in in as much as interviews with Pochettino and hearing his thoughts on where we are. Obviously still going to push for the title. Lester dropping points helps us in that regard. Sure, they could have dropped two more, but they didn't. And the likelihood that it would have come down to one point is very slim. So... It, It still helps us, it's still good for us Arsenal obviously dropping points, very good for us as well Um, So it is uh, exciting on that side From the Pochettino side There was an interview he had with Lyle Thomas Where he was kind of talking about What we're looking for in players Uh, Apparently we have a soft cap of 24 and a hard cap at the age of 26 so we want most of our incoming players to be under the age of 24 24 to 26 we're fine with and it would take something special for somebody older that to come in which kind of puts to bed some of the excitement that that some fans had of us getting another van der Vaart kind of deal heading into the champions league again to be fair, uh, somebody asked me what kind of signings could we make that would be like that Vondervaar deal, and my, my point was, if we knew what they would be, everybody would do it. Vondervaar was just on the bench at Real Madrid, it looked like his career was in a tailspin, and then he came to us and then immediately rejuvenated it. It's hard to say which players would be immediately rejuvenated uh, by a shifting club, Um But regardless, it doesn't look like that's the way that we'd be pursuing that. Another one is that apparently Pochettino really likes Callum Wilson, which I guess isn't that surprising. He loves English players. He said before that he wants to bring in uh, more players that have already played in England. But unlike Liverpool, for example, we've yet to overpay for an English player, largely because (laughs) West Brom wouldn't allow us to pay 25% to Barron. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we offered 20, they said no, they were offended, then we offered 25 when they said the asking price was 24, and they're like, no, we're still offended. <laughs> like, alright, whatever. And then he misses two penalties at the weekend, which makes some Spurs fan two fingers at this guy. Not that upset about it. Um, but those, I thought, were really interesting and, and telling what we're looking for in terms of players, and, and it doesn't look like it'll change just because we're in the Champions League. So, we still need another forward, <laughs> Seifu, the the producer of this show. I uh, was joking around and he was like, what if we don't get another forward in for next year's Champions League run? And I was like, don't don't joke about that, man. We are still Tottenham. We could thoroughly one more year be like, Kane's enough. Son can kind of play there. Chadley thinks he can, but he can't. We're fine. We, we don't need to spend any money. Um, Obviously, the Premier League money we're going to get is incredible. I mentioned on a show earlier this year. Um, The second place finisher in this year's Premier League Will earn 1 million more pounds than Chelsea did last year as champions That's the kind of financial jump the Premier League is making this coming season And on top of that, adding the Champions League revenue Odds being that we're going to be able to make it um, on automatic qualification So then you get extra money uh, through that way So it looks really good Uh, Just, you know, a a little hesitancy the Arsenal schedule is so easy from here on out. It, it really is. Um, and it, it's concerning me a bit. Uh, with Aston Villa, Norwich, and Sunderland, I want to say. Um, so, they're not officially out of it. Although, uh, the highest points tally they could reach this year is 75, which is what they ended on last year. That's if they win every remaining point on their schedule. Leicester currently on 73. If Leicester get a single win, Arsenal are mathematically... Eliminated from uh, from title contention uh, And it feels like, obviously, they're sitting back and forth There are tons of jokes here I'm not going to make them um, But for Tottenham, like I said, very good week Interesting information on, on who we'll be targeting in the summer This doesn't yet really put the kibosh on my Axel Witzel love But it, it it turns down the dimmer a little bit Turns up the dimmer? Which way does it dimmer? You know what, never mind We're gonna, we're gonna move on And though it may be a little out of order, we'll come to Steve next to talk to us about what's been happening at Arsenal. Obviously a disappointing result today. What's your take on the whole Arsenal situation right now?
0: Well, I won't go too deeply into it because I know it's the topic for later on um, and I don't want to tread on all my own toes on the way there. Um, But it's just disappointing, isn't it? It's not good enough. Um, Those who remember my previous appearances on the show will know that i'm a positive arsenal fan generally but they're making it really difficult for me at the moment (laughs) i'm not gonna lie um i mean it looked a little bit like we picked up a couple of um good wins picked up a bit of good form and then in the last two matches we've dropped four points um from winning positions in both um and it is, it's is—it's just not good enough. I mean, if you look at the league table, uh, those extra four points could go a long way to uh, either, depending on how pessimistic or optimistic you are, you could either say they'll go a long way to making sure that we qualify for the Champions League, which would be nice. Um, or, you know, the more optimistic would say those four points would put us a lot closer to Leicester having, you know, Leicester having dropped points today. It was all very exciting for all of about two hours. But, yeah, if we had those extra four points, we'd be one point behind Spurs um, and still in the title picture. But without those four points, now we're looking over our shoulders at Manchester United. Um, And the thing is, it's just typical, for lack of a better phrase, it's typical Arsenal um, lately. It's the fact that we're either looking like we're dominating games and then throwing away through our own defensive frailty or looking like we're domi- dominating games and then throwing it away because we're not taking the chances. So, I mean, last week we were 2-0 up against West Ham um, in the fir- at the end of the first half and then made the same mistake twice. Um, and we didn't think, when we went 2-1 against West Ham, when we let one goal in, it didn't seem like Arsenal went, oh, great, right, we've let one goal in, let's just make sure we get to half-time with the lead. It looked like we went looking to restore the two goal lead and in doing so left ourselves open at the back, which is a mistake we've made roughly four point five million times in the last three seasons. Um and then on the flip side of that, this this week, we absolutely dominated the match against Crystal Palace until they scored the equalizer. I mean, if you look at the chances made, shots on target, etc., possession. Um here's here's a stat for you, Kev, you'll like this. Midway through the second half of the uh, Crystal Palace game today, nine of Arsenal's players had passed the ball successfully. Um, that Their the successful pass completion rate was higher than Palace's top one player. Mm, so wow. nine of Arsenal players had made more successful pa- passes than the opposition's best player on the day. And yet we weren't able to score a goal um, and not taking chances. Again, I don't want to step on my own toe too much for later on, but not taking chances has been our issue this season in a big way. Um, and uh, yeah, and then unfortunately Petr Cech got caught out and um, we end up dropping another two points. So those four points over the last two weeks are going to end up being very, very valuable um, one way or the other and uh, it's just it's just shame it's disappointing as i say i'm just i'm I'm ordinarily very positive about the arsenal um but i'm really struggling at the moment just because it's it's same old same old, and they don't seem to be learning from their mistakes
2: mm. what what have you considered to be the bigger disappointment the league form or the the lack of cup success this year
0: oh definitely league i mean it's 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 interesting because um in a way, up until now, up until today, when uh, obviously we lost the opportunity to go back against Manchester City, you could say, OK, Arsenal should be winning the league ahead of Leicester and Tottenham. Fair enough. On on, No offence uh, um, mm. in terms of Spurs, but on previous season's form, if Leicester and Tottenham are there, Arsenal should be ahead of them. But then the same could be said of Man City, Chelsea, Man United, possibly Liverpool, and none of those top teams are are playing well this season. So so if Arsenal were the only team still left in the title race two or three weeks ago and all those other teams had fallen away, then then you could argue that there's credit to be had there because in a season where everybody else has fallen away, Arsenal have remained relatively consistent. But it's just not, it, it's not good enough. Arsenal should be... Uh, on a season like this, Arsenal should be up there. And I know Man City's fans will be able to say the same. Man United fans could say the same. Um certainly Chelsea fans could be saying that they could be they should be doing better. They're down in tenth, I think, at the moment, um having won the league last year. But um yeah, it's just it's just a, a disappointment, essentially. Um and it's a real shame because I think um it's getting more and more likely that people are gonna remember Arsene Wenger for his barren years than they will, not barren in terms of the Cup success, um, which is, you know, fantastic. But I think it was time for the league, as you say, like league versus cup. It was time for the league this year. And people will remember that we went 10 years without a league title under him. um, If it goes on too much longer, as opposed to remembering the fact that we had nine years where we were at the top and, winning titles, cups, getting to Champions League finals, um, and going unbeaten for a season.
2: Yeah, and and the two clubs you, you started off mentioning there, City and United, are still in other competitions, with United still in the FA Cup and Manchester City still in the Champions League, so you don't even have that solace to hang your hat on.
0: No, that's true, that's true.
2: All right, so to bring everybody in on this Arsenal topic, we were just talking about how it's disappointing that Arsenal don't even have another competition to back themselves up in, but the main disappointment is the Premier League. For as many years as I can remember, Arsenal have come into the the season as one of the favourites to challenge for the title. Each season, it seems like they have a chance. Each season, they end up falling short. Why do you guys think that Arsenal perennially are underperforming?
3: That's a tough one, isn't it? I think... Steve might be a better place to answer this one, but from my perspective, I mean, from my perspective, watching Arsenal stay, I think the result today really proves a lot of what Arsenal are doing at the moment, and that they're, they're playing. I think I suppose somebody um, earlier on today actually saying that Arsenal would be great in Spain, playing in the Spanish La Liga, um, because of the way that they play football, slow build up, like to play with the ball, like to play a bit of midfield a lot, and as I mentioned earlier, the possession stats, you know, were. Um, totally in favour of Arsenal today. But it didn't particularly um, re- really stretch us uh, on, on many occasions today. Um, and we put in a really good defensive um, performance and we just let Arsenal play across the midfield, which is where their possession stats come from. And I think that's half of Arsenal's problems. They're not, they're not direct enough when they perhaps should be. Um, they've got so much quality in the side. Um, I just think sometimes they're not... It, it, I also mentioned earlier that you know Arsenal 1-0 up, just right before half-time and you'd think that Arsenal would come out and have a go at us to kind of finish off the game in the second half because that's kind of a, a killer time of a game to, to concede a goal and understandably a, a team's heads or a players' heads might be down a little bit but the, you know, that didn't really happen so I think Arsenal struggle in that respect so I think that's why they sometimes do well obviously not this year but in, in European competitions it kind of works for them in, in you know, the way that they play um, but in the Premier League they, they do tend to struggle with that and I think that's probably half their problem.
4: And- See, so to me, I think there's a almost like a, a massive culture thing at Arsenal now where Wenger is because of obviously how long he's been Arsenal manager, everything there is massively driven driven by him, which sounds like a, a really obvious thing to say because he is the manager. But if you think, like, obviously, when Arsenal were winning leagues, um, and in the late 90s and when they had the Invincibles team in the was it early 2000s they were Wenger was almost revolutionary in you know he's largely credited with revolutionising a lot of the sports science side of um, the game in the Premier League and with even the, the little stuff like players' diets a lot of how the Premier League has progressed in that regard is put down to the influences that Wenger brought with him um, it seems to me that in terms of the, the football that he plays and the tactics that he employs, he's never really moved on from what he found success with. And so Arsenal still play generally the the same style of football. It's still, um, as Jay said, it's, it's still based around possession football. Um, when they're absolutely on song, they are fantastic to watch. But... Football has moved on and, in my opinion, left Benga behind somewhat. And then, what the he doesn't strike me as a great tactician, and that seems to be um, it's largely what I see in Pellegrini. Like, um, when Allardyce called Pellegrini out last year when West Ham beat City, he said that managers like Pellegrini and Arsene Benga are easy to work out because they're always going to try and do the same thing. And if you're if the so called lesser teams, are at their best against us, against those kind of teams, then they're always going to have a chance. And I do very much see that in Arsenal um, and in Wenger. He's just not a great tactician. He seems very, very stubborn. Um, and he's now... It's not just Arsenal who've got this experience of having a, like a great spell in every season, but then falling apart when it really matters. That's not just the club and the players that is now that's what happens to Wenger. he's intertwined in all of that, and his his only experience for the last like pretty much the last decade is not being able to reverse that and always managing a team that falls apart um so his his only recent experience in a title challenge is a negative one, and just being able to call back on winning the league in like ninety eight or the invincible team of in the early two thousands. That isn't good enough anymore because he hasn't got like the likes of um Vieira and Henri that were so influential. I also don't strike me as having those kind of players anymore. Obviously they've still got some great players in like Sanchez, Erzil, obviously Petacek's a great goalkeeper, but they don't seem to have those kind of um it's also cliche, but those kind of influences in the dressing room or those real, real leaders on the pitch. Um I don't know, Steve may disagree with that, but it just seems that everything that Arsenal experience, Wenger obviously experiences with them, and it's just like it's continuous negative reinforcement, I think is what I'm getting at. Um, they, they just It's constant failure in a title challenge, and the club seem to value, as long as they're finishing in the top four, that's, that's good enough and that's more important than anything. It doesn't seem there's really the impetus at Arsenal anymore to really go on and win the league, where you think... Uh, um, I mean, I like Wenger, but you think a, a better manager or somebody more in tune with um, how to how to win in football these days, how to be a bit more tactically adept, and um, would perhaps get more out of those players. And that's before you even get onto the transfer policy, which is a, a whole different argument. How they hold back in the transfer market, um, but to me, it is it's a, it's a culture thing that is led by Wenger and a board that are willing to accept. And mediocrity is the wrong word because the amount of times they qualify for the Champions League in a row is phenomenal, but relative mediocrity for for what a club of that size and stature should actually be aiming for.
0: Some really good points actually, Richard. Um, I mean, the, some of the things that, that you've levelled uh, there are, are quite commonly brought back when talking about um, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal teams over the years. There's an interesting perspective to say that his um, more recent league experience actually is in In losing sides, I hadn't really heard that perspective before, and I hadn't really thought of it from that way. And that is a good point. Um, But I do think I still feel like he has the the experience of having those teams underneath him Mm. and behind him, and like he should have enough to um, uh, to make that count for him again. I mean. You mentioned Ozil and Sanchez there. The reason they joined the club was because of Arsene Wenger. They've both come out and actually said that they were spoken to personally by Arsene Wenger about his ambitions for the club. And I don't don't feel like players like that would come to a club like Arsenal who hadn't won anything for a while on a whim. Um, I think they want to be part of an ongoing project under Arsene Wenger. Um, If we weren't with Wenger, it could go one of two ways. If there was one manager out there who I would want to come in, it would be Diego Simeone. Mm. Um, because if you look at the solidity that Atletico Madrid have versus the creativity they have up front, that would be ideal for uh, for Arsenal. But until he's available, I don't see any better manager than Arsene Wenger. Um, the lack of leadership that you mentioned, or the lack of steel um, the lack of strength in through the team like you mentioned Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry he was a flair player but he was you know he could scrap when he needed to um, that is missing but you know what the funny thing is this season it's not even that that's been the problem um, because if you look at the, te- the other teams that are traditionally in the top four Manchester City Chelsea etc they've lacked leadership and steel as well and they're a lot further down to the league than Arsenal are um, uh, Chelsea, in Chelsea's case anyway um, so I don't think that this season of all seasons that, that is, a, that is a, a stick that you can beat Arsene Wenger with I think the transfer policy is a good one because I think the main thing this season is finishing That's I think if there was one word that summed up Arsene's, or Arsenal's season um, this year it's finishing or lack thereof um, Arsenal have created more chances than any other team in the league. Um, and yet, here we are, however many points behind Leicester, um, who seem determined to win every match 1-0, roughly. Um, whereas Arsenal are trying to win every match 4-0 and a miles behind. And it's just, and that perhaps does come down to transfer policy. Because if we'd brought in someone like Lacazette, or someone like that who just has that killer instinct in front of goal, um, then perhaps we'd be somewhere different. And today, some today did really sum it up. I mean, you you mentioned Jay about the the um, the possession, and I'm going to go back to the stat I mentioned in my in my uh, doing the rounds today. Halfway through the second half, nine of Arsenal's players had made more successful passes than Crystal Palace's top player. That's how dominant we were today, and yet we couldn't finish. We made chances, and they just didn't go in the net. The number of times this season when we have hit the post or hit the crossbar or had a goalkeeper make a world-class save that have meant we've dropped points. But the thing is, if you can say that's unlucky, and a lot of Arsenal fans do say that's unlucky, but if it had been two inches further away from the goalkeeper, if the finishing had been better or if it had been just inside the post that's a goal and that's that's going to have been worth about twelve to fifteen points over the course of the season and that's the title and that and I think that's it like lack of leadership you can take or leave leadership on this side lack of um steel maybe finishing strikers and midfielders that can really finish with um consistency. I mean Aaron Ramsey, I know he's injured at the moment, bless him. But his finishing this season has been awful. And Santi Cazorla got hit before he got injured. Goodness knows what happened to his shooting boots. And there's that's another thing. I mean just in those two players there, injuries have massively plagued us again this season. Um and we were well in the hunt until Santi Cazorla, possibly the most underrated player in the Premier League. Um until he disappeared, and suddenly our midfield was thrown up in the yeah, air, having looked quite solid with the with him and Coquelin playing deep. And as soon as he disappeared, if you look back to when he stopped playing, that's when the run started, where we started dropping points. Um, so either finishing or Cuthalla; those are the two reasons this year um,
2: that have that have really led to Arsenal uh, suffering. I think it's really interesting that. We're a lot all mentioning play style, and uh, Steve specifically said that Leicester are fine winning every match one nil, and that's why you you fall in behind because that's exactly what Chelsea did in the second half of last season. Is Mourinho set up in a very similar way? The objective was to win one nil. Do you do you think that there is a bit of overplaying, or do you think there would be less of that if you did have somebody to just tuck the ball in the net?
0: And um, both. Um, for what it's worth, if we had to, if if we had the players to score with the consistency that we had to make chance. I mean, Meza Urzo is a chance creating machine, and if we yeah, had most of the league and it's not close. No, exactly. Um, so if we had the players to finish off those chances, we'd be winning every match purely by virtue of the number of goals we'd be scoring. But because we don't have that player that who can finish them all off, we then need to think about and i hate the phrase but it's got to be used game management 2-0 up against west ham last week we should have won that game we let one goal in just before half time and instead of going all right lads 10 men behind the ball let's get to half time regroup go again we went no we need another goal and then we let another goal
2: in to the I, same player I think that's richard's point about the tactics though yes Thank
4: exactly, exactly. sorry yes. yeah so <laughs> that that does feed into to like what i was trying to get at i suppose of An Arsenal with, um, I suppose it's where we're sort of agreeing, really, an Arsenal with the likes of Henry, who was banging goals in every week, you could afford to get away with that because you could legitimately go up the pitch and you're probably going to grab your third goal. But that goes back to Arsenal back in the day had that kind of fear factor that that nobody really carries at the moment, but that a United used to hold and that I suppose City held at the Etihad for a, a few years. Um, and that Chelsea held at Stamford Bridge. Arsenal used to have that in a way that they don't anymore. So mm. it's, I suppose it's more it's more encouraging for other teams. Are they going to find more encouragement in attacking Arsenal? Um, I mean, obviously, you're not going to lose 2-0 leads um, regularly, because that's, I suppose, a rare thing in itself, really. But you would have been able to get away with that back in the day. And to me, that... It is in game management, and I agree with you. I hate the phrase, but unfortunately, it is the most appropriate one. Um, that still comes from Wenger because to me, that's that's a as well as tactical, that's a coaching issue. Like, you've, you've mm. a manager's got to give the players the tools to be able to manage the games that go on, and of course, players have got to have the, the natural intelligence. But if that's happening regularly, then surely there's a coaching issue that the manager needs to identify and say, Look. You don't have to be pressing forward all the time. If you've got a game wrapped up, or if we're 2 0 up heading to half time, it's okay to sit on that and we'll regroup at half time or we'll talk it over at half time. Um, I'm sure I'm massively simplifying a manager's job there. But to me, that, that does it's come back the <laughs> to the tactics. And,
2: <clears throat> I, I don't think that this is fair, but I, I started questioning Wenger's tactics back in the 2012 season when Bale really started to go on a run. And we were about to play Arsenal, and he was asked if he was going to change his team setup to deal with the threat of Gareth Bale. And he said, we don't change the way we play for our opponents. And then Bale had a goal and an assist and a 2-1 win. And that kind of inflexibility and belief in what he's doing that was once so successful now seems misplaced. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you're I think you're
2: right. And another and another thing,
0: while we're while we're kind of coming up with aspects, I suppose I mean we've all come up with slightly different themes, slightly different ideas, perhaps down the same avenue, but but lots of different reasons that probably are all in the mix as to why um Arsenal aren't performing to their best. And if it was one or the other or the other, Arsenal would probably be alright, but because it's all of them at the same time, it probably mixes together. It's a huge failure, um, which is fun to be a supporter of. Um, but the other thing is, and it is a bug, a massive bugbear of mine as well, is the home support. Arsenal's home form over the last few months has been awful, and I don't think the fans are in any way blameless for that.
1: Because even
0: to, even today, when we went one nil up, there was no confidence. And you mentioned yourself, Richard, that about Etihad being a bit of a fortress for City and Stamford Bridge being a fortress for, um, for Chelsea and Old Trafford being a fortress for Man United. Fears, teams don't fear coming to Arsenal. Arsenal play better away from home because they don't have... Even when Arsenal are 1-0 up, there's a tension in the stadium that, just, that feeds into what the players are doing. And every time there's a pass misplaced, there's a, big, there's a massive groan. So that puts pressure on every player from, from kickoff. It's not even a case of when Arsenal are 1-0 down and we need a win um, and we need a goal. It will be 2-0 we'll be up and someone will misplace a pass and you'll hear the crowd going, oh, this is rubbish. They're not celebrating the 2-0. They're, they're denigrating the players for making a misplaced pass. And that puts pressure on players, which feeds into the nervousness that comes from in defence when we're defending a corner or, or, or the nervousness that feeds into the poor finishing. And so it's all, as I say, it's all aspects to the same result, which is Arsenal aren't winning titles in seasons like this one when perhaps they could have. Um, but due to lack of leadership, perhaps some technic- tactical um, inflexibility, lack of finishing, and the home support, all of that all just adds up into um, a big disappointing mess and I'm but having said that I am not convinced that a new manager coming in would change the attitude of Arsenal fans mm. um, so I don't really know what the answer is
3: Steve I would say that that was very noticeable today actually watching the game in that you could hear um, Alan Pardew shouting from the touchline now I've always said if you can hear the players talking even on TV if you can hear the players talking to each other and the manager shouting from the touchline um, an awful lot like we did in the first half then the atmosphere has got to be pretty poor. Um, mm. And it was no, noticeably quiet, noticeably empty. There was a lot of empty seats, whether that's season ticket holders not choosing to go or or, or whichever. But um, it seemed like the uh, attendance was quite big today. But obviously, they, I think they seem to count season ticket holders whether they go or not, um, which is yeah, quite bizarre um, in football. But I think another point there, actually, is the fact that, um, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of groans today every time a player make. Makes a mistake, and that can't be good for the players, whatever, however good these players are. You know, to hear, to, to hit, well, to, to not even hear the crowd. I mean, you know, players must play better in an atmosphere, they must do. Um, mm. I can imagine how it's how what it's like going into some of these big games, playing in front of a huge crowd, you know, a noisy crowd, um, not being able to hear yourself, you know, think and you know, talk to your you know, fellow players. But um one of the other points you mentioned is that about the ball retention for Arsenal is very good and uh, the pass success rate. I think, I think I read that Leicester have the wor- one of the worst pass success rates mm-hmm. uh, in the Premier League at the moment, and look at where they are now. Um, I think it says an awful lot. I think their ball retention isn't very good, but they're very effective in what they do. I think Arsenal just need to learn how to be effective when they have so much possession. I don't think they're very effective when they do have the ball, um, as it showed today and as it showed a few times, particularly at Arsenal. You're right, I think Arsenal are better away from home. I think they know how to, whether it's less pressure, maybe it's less pressure. I think think pressure is
2: a part, but I also think a a lot of it is that other teams want to come out and play at home. Yeah, which <laughs>
3: suits them. Mm. Yeah, definitely.
0: There's a there's
2: a very telling
0: um, phrase I uh, to give a shout out to another podcast. I don't know if they're going to discontinue it now, but um, Alan Davis does an Arsenal podcast, as in comedian um, Alan Davis from QI. Mm-hmm. Does a podcast called The Tuesday Club. He's been a season ticket at Arsenal for for years. Like he talks, he tells stories about when he used to go in the seventies and eighties. Um. And he, his phrase that he used once on one of the podcasts, and I actually wrote it down because it was so good, was that he loved Highbury. He was, he was waxing lyrical about Highbury and the atmosphere and the closeness to the pitch. And, God, it was only 40,000 people, but they made more noise than the 60,000 people of the Emirates ever made. And he called it a stunning modern cathedral of mediocrity. <laughs> that was his phrase for the Emirates Stadium. He thinks it's brilliantly built. Obviously, it's a fantastic stadium, but that is in in what's that one, two, three, four, five words. That kind of sums it up: stunning modern cathedral of mediocrity. Mm. It's it's and
2: interesting, can... yeah, for sure. And and it happens everywhere. It's not just football. Like uh, I was in New York all last year, and the same thing happened with the new Yankee Stadium. Because the old place was so steeped in tradition and everything, you just get the new place, which is infinitely "quote unquote" better. In terms of design, you can get more people in, you can raise ticket prices, but some of the spirit is lost with that old place leaving. So, yeah, yeah. very tough.
1: Well, and, and we're awesome. about to have
2: to deal with it with Tottenham, is Whitehall yes. Lane's about to be gone. And we're going to get, hopefully, a stunning cathedral of success. <laughs> totally, <The> <laughs> time will tell there.
0: Hopefully, you will get a stunning modern cathedral of relegation. <laughs>
2: Unlikely, but, you know, Villa one of the, were one of the seven that had never gone down. They're already officially relegated, um, which I suppose is a, a massive disappointment for some. Yeah, mm. it's, it's it's it has been a very strange season. Arsenal obviously not reached the success they've had. In a word, we'll go through the line. Should Arsene Wenger be Arsenal's manager next year? We'll start with Jay. Yes, I think so. I had
3: a really good, actually, uh, question and answer session with an Arsenal fan this week in up to today's game, and he was very pro Wenger. Um, and he actually mentioned to me, um, "Just look at United since Ferguson left. Um, it's all very good, wishing for somebody to to go, um, but this guy is very pro Wenger. He appreciates what he's done for the club over the period of time, and he'd like to see him, you know, see his time out of the club and, and go when he chooses to. But um, I think it's a very good example." how long Alex Ferguson was at United all that time. And since he's gone, they've kind of struggled a little bit to kind of maintain any sort of, um, you know, consistency, um, particularly in the premier league. So, uh, it's a really interesting point. I, I would like to go with that. I don't like to see managers sacked. Um, I, I still got a lot of time for Wenger, but I think not many managers would have probably stayed at a club all the time that they were, you know, a club is funding for the, um, yeah, for a stadium, but he did stick around. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, it's just a shame. No, I thought uh, I thought Arsenal would probably challenge for a title a lot closer than they would this year. But then I, not many people would have said Leicester would have been up there. So it's, a, it's an odd one. Richard? <clears throat> um, for me, in one word, no. But
4: to qualify it quickly, um, that's because I think realistically for the ambitions I think Arsenal as a club should have, I think that change should have been made, um, referencing Steve's point earlier about there not necessarily being a better choice out there now available. There has been in the past, um, for example, I think Jurgen Klopp, and it's not um, an original point for me to make, I think Klopp would have been perfect for Arsenal, um, I think would have improved them, I think they would have had a better shot at the league this season were he manager, Um, and unfortunately football is a game, it's pretty ruthless, or um, it's certainly at the top end it's pretty ruthless you look at what City have done to Pellegrini they've replaced him because he's a better manager available um, and so I think Arsenal probably should have done that in the past so that's why I think he shouldn't be manager next season because I don't think he should be manager now um, but on current situation I do absolutely take Steve's point that maybe there isn't anyone better available so um, maybe on by default I would probably just about agree that from here he should still be manager next season, but I do think he's a lot of questions to answer.
2: Yeah, and Steve obviously thinks he should say because you pretty much just said so. Um, for dependent me, dependent on Simeone's availability. Well, his contract's up next year, so oh, perfect. So yeah, is, is your idea just hold on for a year with Bangor, finish fourth again, go out in the round of sixteen again? Like it, this is there's a resentment there that's deep seated in Arsenal fandom. That's why we see it every time, which is this tear between what they think fandom should be, which is showing respect to this man that's done so much for them, and what they actually want, which is to move on and start the rebuilding process. And I think that dichotomy is where you're seeing like this constant banger out, banger in, is it's just a linear switch between sentimentality and the reality of the situation. And so it's just when are people flipping that back and forth? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of gradient there. And I could be wrong. Um, because all the things that the neutral will see are the extreme reactions. Nobody's going to run an article with uh, Wenger disappointed, but, you know, fourth is still a really good achievement. That doesn't that doesn't sell papers. Uh, that doesn't get clicks to your website. But I, I think that's a big thing. And if, if you are going to have to go through a rebuild, which is probably what will have to happen. Everybody's mentioned what happened when Ferguson left. If that's the kind of thing that happens when Wenger leaves, you're going to be years behind in the process, because Tottenham are already in the middle of building up. Liverpool did it mid-season, bringing in Klopp, and now they're building up. City are bringing in Pep, so you, you're going to be a year behind if you don't do it now. I don't know. I, I think that you kind of need to move on regardless, but, uh, you know, I, hard for me to be unbiased, but I, I just feel like there's a very real chance of starting to lose some of that hold you've had, both on the London market with Tottenham's success, um, and West Ham on their way up as well. They'll have the Olympic Stadium next year. I, I, I don't know. I, I, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be really much more worried about what this means long term than what it means short term. In terms of are you going to finish second or fourth or third? I, I don't think that's the big issue. I think the issue is how far behind in this process are you going to be compared to other clubs?
0: Yeah, and just to, to finally put this point, put this uh, chat to bed. Hopefully, Um, I saw one Arsenal fan today, who shall remain nameless, tweet, uh, this is rubbish, same thing every week, hashtag Potch in. (laughs) Thought you'd like that. Yeah,
2: good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. to be fair, that's the kind of manager you need but get your own (laughs) oh, okay yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Bielsa go get Bielsa, that'd be fun Uh, anyway uh, we will uh, forego Player Watch, unfortunately because we actually have match previews to do, because everybody has midweek matches except for us, who play on Monday like I said, we have not played yet Um, we'll be playing this the day that you're hearing this, we're going to be traveling to stoke obviously stoke have struggled defensively more than people would like to admit jack butland had the most saves in the premier league and it wasn't particularly close and i think because of that a lot of people are thinking that stoke's defense is what it was when pulis was still there which it's not has mark hughes done a very good job of blending their old style with their new style very much so but but this defense without butland in there is has much more um inconsistency than it has had previously I'm feeling pretty confident about this. The squad are feeling very confident based on how many of them decided to say something after Leicester and Arsenal drop points, which I never advise. I always like to wait to see what we've done before you start saying stuff or like before hosting a podcast and saying Arsenal are done for the next decade. Um, maybe maybe wait for the Tottenham result, especially considering Arsenal do have a pretty favorable run-in. Um, but for our particular match, I, I think we should be able to win this one. Everyone's back fit except for Bentaleb, who I do still think will move in the summer. Clinton and G is back, which is interesting. Some people are saying he's he's a perfect bench piece because of his pace. He could come off. The bench and really impact games late. I'm not really sure who he kicks out of our bench at the moment, especially having just come back from injury. So I'm not really sure if we're going to see that. But the health is great. Vertonghen stepped back in uh, for Vimmer, who to be fair only stepped in because Vertonghen was out. Stepped back in without a hitch. Him and him and Alderweireld like add so much to each other's game just by being next to each other because there's so much non-verbal communication that goes on between the two of them. It's incredible, and I know a lot of people mentioned before they came that they played together for Belgium. But before they came to us, and even for Tongan once he was here, they played right back and left back. Two positions that do not have to have terrific rapport <laughs> with each other. Um, but they, they really have done quite well for us. Obviously at Ajax it was a, a bit of a different story, but uh, very pleased with where we are. Everybody's healthy. We've stopped our rotation at the wing back, so it's just going to be Rose and Walker from here on out as long as they both stay fit. Uh, but yeah, pr- pretty confident about this one. Uh, if I had to be pushed for a score, I'm going to say 2-0. All right, and next up is Richard. Uh, What do you think is going to happen in your match when you travel to Newcastle?
4: Um, Well, Aguero scoring
2: five goals, right?
4: He has to. That would be nice. I'd like that again, Um, not least least because I had a bet at the start of the season on Aguero finishing his golden boot winner, Um, so that would be lovely. Um, We have a great record at Newcastle um, as A lot of teams who play them in recent years do. To be fair, Um, but we're one of our. We're one of their bogey teams. Um, We've got, we've got a few injuries at the moment. Nasri linked out of the Chelsea game, having just come back from injury uh, in very good form. We're hoping that's not um, that's not a major one, but he's definitely out of this game. There was talk that Company might be back, which would be um, a huge boost. But to be fair to Mangala and Otamendi. They've looked pretty good together uh, in the last few games, mainly, bizarrely, because Mangala's been carrying them. Ottomendi's reading of the game is still pretty atrocious. Um, so if there's a chance to get company back in, it should be Ottomendi's place that he takes because Mangala is finally looking like a, uh, like a player. Um, the, the main interest, because City are in good form, I think the main interest in this for me is probably how do Newcastle turn up? Because from being absolutely abject week to week, they've had a, a cracking result over the weekend. Um, 3-0 against Swansea is a, a decent scoreline, and you never know what kind of momentum that might give them. They're obviously going to have a a pretty nervy, um, intense home crowd behind them. Um, they have a lot to play for in the bid to stay up. I think they play... I, I heard before they play the, th- the three points off Norwich with a game in hand, and they play three times before Norwich play again, which is pretty crazy. So... They've obviously got a real they've got a chance to really swing things before Norwich are back in action. And I know if um in some crazy scenario where I was Newcastle manager, that's something that I'd be hammering home to the players. Um so there's I think it's quite hard to predict at this point in the season how a team that have been poor for the the vast majority of the campaign but are now really up at you know, really at the point where they have to scrap for their lives. It's always hard to predict exactly how they're gonna turn up. That said, um you can't make an excuse as a team that uh, well, as a team in third position, you can't make an excuse for losing to um, a relegation battler and City for all the folks this season have been very good flat track bullies with the exception of the 0-0 draw at Aston Villa which did have the the small caveat of being Remy first game so they had um, a bit of good you know for possibly the only game this season they actually had a bit of good feeling about the club before it um, and the 0-0 draw at Norwich we've actually got a very impressive record against teams in the bottom half of the table um, and so I'm reasonably confident. I don't think we will batter them. I don't think it's going to be an absolute hammering. Um, but to put a score on it, I think a, a comfortable 2-0 win could be on the card. But I do genuinely think Newcastle are a massively um, unpredictable team for this game. But I'll, I'll go confident and go City to win 2-0.
2: All right. And Jay, Palace are going to be visiting Old Trafford. Do you think you'll be able to take more points off a of big club here?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting one because we're now, after what was an absolutely horrid uh, run of form since the new year, we find ourselves now four games unbeaten, uh, unbeaten in April. Uh, It's funny how football works, isn't it? Sometimes you wait so long for a win, um, and we've managed uh, a a win and three draws, which, um, you know, three draws against, you know, some some good sides Everton, West Ham, and and now Arsenal, uh, and we beat Norwich. So. There's noticeable confidence in the side now, uh, particularly on the pitch. First off, we did knock the ball around a little bit at Arsenal, but obviously it's a bit more of a defensive display than we've been used to recently. Going to Old Trafford on Wednesday, we shouldn't really have any fear, although I have a feeling that now we're on 39 points. Um, To me, that's that's more than safe, I think. Um, Going into the last few games, Pardew will have one eye on the semi-final, which is next Sunday, uh, against Watford in the FA Cup, Um, and he'll probably play one or two fringe players to give them a chance um, to to play in the uh, semi-final or at least make the bench. So it'd be interesting to see. I'm very interested to see what Pardew chooses to do. I think he said that is going to play, start the game. He's actually impressed in the last two games coming off the bench against Everton on last Wednesday and also again today. So, um, yeah, it could cause United some problems and obviously United are under a bit of pressure they've got no chance to, you know, to have a break because they're, they're chasing down that top four spot uh, and they've also got the FA Cup as well to contend with so um, they can't really rest on their laurels whereas you know, we've probably got a little bit of uh, uh, freedom uh, a little bit now so um, I'm, I'm hopeful of us getting something but um, I'm, I'm thinking that United will probably want this more than we do um, and it might be a narrow defeat for us
2: all right and lastly we'll come to you Steve to talk to us a little bit about Arsenal who are going to be hosting West Bromwich Albion. Well, um I think it was mentioned before
0: about Arsenal having a favorable run in. I think it's I think something like with the exception of City obviously. It's something like um we've got Newcastle, Villa on the last day, West Brom, I want to say Norwich as
2: well. Yeah. So <laughs> this should be the um, uh no Newcastle it's West Brom Sunderland Norwich City blah. Oh, Sunderland! You up with I, went, <laughs> I
0: went I went to the wrong part of uh, of, of of the Tyne um but I knew it was one of those yeah. this should be this should have been our go home tour uh for the season lots of three points is with the exception of possibly Man City but you know that could go either way depending on who's available to play and so on and so forth um, Tony Pulis will set up to frustrate, and that doesn't seem to go very well for Arsenal at the moment. So I think we should win, but I don't necessarily think we will. Um, hopefully, Jack Wilshere will be back in time to make an appearance. That would be good. Um, he's played ninety minutes for reserve, so that'd be, he's been a big miss. I mean, bear in mind he is one of the players who. It, one of maybe a handful of players in the Arsenal team who I think most play, most teams would have in their squad. If not necessarily their first team, they'd have him in their squad because he adds a bit of steel. Um, he adds a bit of kind of competitiveness that some of the players lack. Um, and he is a very skillful player. If only he would stop kind of chasing after balls, balls he'd lost and then getting hurt in the challenges that result. result. Um, so hopefully he'll be back. Um, we should win. But after today, I am not counting any chickens
2: or eagles, as the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and with that, we are out of time. So, if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time.
3: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Jay, editor of the Eaglesbeak dot com. You can catch us all across social media, but please check out the website. There's lots of articles going on, at least two a day at the moment, so it's really busy. We're on Twitter most. That's where you can catch us most of the time. So uh, we're at the Beak. and I also work on a local community football show project, uh, which is really taken off. Uh, it's called Back of the Net. You can get us on Twitter at underscore back of the net underscore.
4: Yeah, cheers, Um Richard Burns. Um I write for typicalcity.org. Um, for two articles a week on manchester city for yahoo sport uk and i am also part of the blue moon podcast which is a dedicated manchester city podcast um, that is released every friday cheers
0: yeah thank you very much for listening um, i'm steve uh, find me at find pub sport uh, or go to findpubsport.com to find out uh, live fixtures and
2: where you can watch them in your local area yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at kevrov. You can find my writings at TheEaglesBeak.com and at PlayTaga.com. Also, please listen to our fantasy show, which goes up every Thursday on this very channel. And don't blame me for the crazy substitutions made by Jurgen Klopp uh, <laughs> or, or Roberto Martinez. That wasn't my fault. I don't know what happened, but best of luck in the remainder of your double game weeks. All right, thanks so much, guys. It was a pleasure, as always, and we hope you keep listening.